0: And all our resources, including this podcast, are 100% free. No signups, no fees, no strings attached. We'll use the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast in many different ways, but the main point is to get you the information you need to keep playing baseball. We appreciate you tuning in to the best source of recruiting information on the go. On today's episode, we're joined by John Sauteropoulos. Sauteropoulos is currently playing independent professional baseball in Japan. He played his high school days at Loyola High School in Los Angeles, California, before moving on to the University of California, Berkeley in the Pac-12. He transferred as a graduate student to Cal State Dominguez Hills, and for the Toros, Sauteropoulos hit 345 with 10 bombs and averaged an RBI a game. He finished his season with the Toros with an OPS over one and was named All-Conference and All-Region Selection for his efforts not to let his baseball performance outdo his coursework. Sauteropoulos was also a member of the honor roll and graduated with a master's degree in negotiation, conflict resolution, and peace building. It's 6 a.m., bright and early in Japan, but we really appreciate you joining us on the show.
1: Thanks for coming on. My pleasure, e. My pleasure.
0: I want to uh, I want to kick things off by talking about high school. So, can you talk a little bit about how you knew you wanted to play college baseball and when you first started to develop those thoughts?
1: Yeah, so in high school, I played, um, freshman year, I played football, basketball, and baseball. And then sophomore year, I just played basketball and baseball, and I started to realize that wanted to play a college sport and baseball was my best option because I'm not that fast so I couldn't really play football or basketball at the next level right. but I also I also enjoyed baseball uh the most too it was always my my favorite sport and around my junior year I realized that there would probably be an opportunity for me to pursue baseball at the next level so that's when I started to get serious about like weighing my options and seeing what I could do with baseball.
0: So when you started to figure out that you wanted to play college baseball, how did you attack the recruiting process? What what was your plan and where did you get your
1: information from? Yeah, so that was, I have an older brother, but he didn't play baseball or anything. So it was my uh, my first time, my parents' first time kind of figuring everything out. And I kind of had a friend, his name is Chad Clark. He was like a advisor, kind of, and he helped contact um, coaches for me. And he kind of walked us through the recruiting process. That being said, going through it the first time, even with Chad's help, is uh, overwhelming, to say the least, because you don't really know what you're doing, let alone if you're doing anything right.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely uh, not alone in and kind of fumbling through that process. So in hindsight, was the information that Chad gave you helpful? Do you wish you had done things differently that first time around?
1: Yeah, Chad Chad was very helpful. Um he's very well connected in the baseball community. So he was able to get he's actually the one that got in touch with the coaches at Cal, actually, if I remember correctly. And it's always a big plus to have someone talk who's respected like talk to the coaches before the coaches see you play instead of just going out there and be another player but I wish I wish I would have maybe done more research while I was going through it but at the same time when you're 16 I don't really know what what to look up or like how to go about researching what to do in the recruiting process <laughs>
0: that's yeah, that's why we exist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where were you where were you eight years ago? Yeah, not not quite started <laughs> up, unfortunately. Sorry about that. So when you say that he was contacting coaches for you, was he helping guide you through that uh contact process? Were you writing the emails or was he the one who was actually doing that for you?
1: It was a little bit of both. Um, but the contact that he made was definitely more much more important than anything that I was able to do yeah he had the, he had the connection already, and I'm just another high school player,
0: so having someone to be your spokesperson and join you in, in advocating for yourself was helpful then,
1: yeah, when you get more voices you have on your side, the better,
0: <laughs> yeah, and so you're going through this process and he's helping you and it sounds like it was a little bit of trial and error, but how did you end up kind of narrowing your choices and, and choosing Cal?
1: Yeah, so I had um, I had pretty good grades in high school. I was a good student, and um, in high school I was a good player, but I didn't really have any of like the showcase tools. I wasn't oh. very fast. I didn't hit for that much power. So it was hard to kind of stand out at right. a showcase other than um, – like I was good in the games, you know, but you don't really you can't really play that many games at a showcase. Right. Solid solid player but no tools that really jump out. Yeah, so then I went to the Stanford camp and I got a bunch of I had a bunch of smaller schools, maybe D3s, D2s that were good academic schools. Um they they I had a lot of options to go play on the East Coast. Right. But I kind of wanted to play at a bigger school. Which is also I didn't I mean like I was also sixteen at the time, so I didn't really know like that playing at a smaller school is definitely a valuable option as well. But I had my sights set on going to a bigger school. And then um I went to the showcase up at Cal, which Esker actually does a good job with that, like his day of baseball he calls it. I had a lot of fun and I played good enough there to get the coaches to notice me.
0: Nice and was that uh, an extended opportunity a, a one day event what, what it was,
1: was a it was a one day event i was um so after stanford camp yale heavily recruited me and it was between me and another kid for the one spot that they had and they chose the other kid which thinking back i'm actually glad that they chose him because yale would have been really expensive and i have i'd have even more debt than i have now <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, right there you hit on two things that are not really often understood, right? You know, there's, there's limited spots in the recruiting process, and a school might really be looking for just one guy and have one spot, and so you're up against another kid or maybe even a few kids that you don't know about. Were they communicating that throughout the process to you? Were you aware
1: that it was kind of down to you and this other kid? Yeah, so the whole time, the Yale coach, was he was pretty honest with me, Um, and like I said, they were heavily recruiting me, and they shuffle, I guess they had a, a whiteboard that they'd shuffle the names around on, and it ended up being, it was literally between me and one other kid, and he told me that they chose the other kid because he could play shortstop and catch, whereas I could only play infield. But so, you know what I say. If if you're playing shortstop and you're catching, you're probably not good at one or the other, right? <laughs> <laughs> there's, I guess there's two ways to look at that. Right? That's what I. To, that's what I told myself to make myself feel better. <laughs> but I think it worked out. I think I actually think it worked out better. Like I said, because Yale's extremely expensive.
0: Right, and so that's that's another thing that's not considered too often. You know, gets lost with the excitement and the ups and downs of the recruiting process, but. How big of a deal was that financial aspect for you, and uh how did you know kind of what your limits were in terms of the schools that you could afford and not
1: um that's another thing like hundreds of thousands of dollars is hard to comprehend when you're sixteen as well but for me i was I was lucky enough that wherever I chose my dad was gonna was gonna make it work basically nothing was no school was off limits. For me, and like I said, I'm very, very fortunate to have that option. My parents pay for two thirds. They were going to pay for two thirds of my college experience, no matter where I went. So I, I ended up going to Cal, which, in hindsight, saved me a lot of money and my parents as well. But like I said, I there was there was no school that my dad wasn't was going to hold me back from, which I very feel very blessed thinking about that now. And you knew that
0: going through the process that it was just a uh, yeah. of finding the best fit for what you
1: wanted to do I knew that going through through the process, but at the same time, when you're a kid, you don't really think about like your student loans you're gonna have in six years
0: <laughs> right right, and it's it's hard. luckily, they have some tools that can help put that in perspective if you you know you really have to plan things out, they have tools that can tell you based on a kind of a generic salary and living conditions what your monthly payments are going to be on certain plans which is nice but as you said as a 16 year old it's hard to It's yeah that's
1: not something i really comprehended at the time i mean i'm not sure i'm not sure anyone does really <laughs> yeah
0: so were your parents heavily involved in your recruiting process then or
1: yes they they helped a lot um like in terms of getting me I mean, yeah, my mom seen me play baseball all across the country. <laughs> she's she's always she was always taking me around. And they helped in terms of like not so much not so Chad helped in terms of like contacting the coaches and stuff, but uh getting getting me everywhere. Um like helping me with school was more there. They were they were kinda hands off when it came to actually playing the game, but whenever i needed to be at a showcase or tournament they were always they they, they were always ready to rock
0: <laughs> yeah definitely a support system and that's one of the things that we advocate for is kind of more of a behind the scenes help uh, parents should be actually the analogy that we like to use is a learner's permit so when a kid gets his learner's permit the parents in the car and they're playing an active role teaching their son how to drive to the outside world, it looks like the 16 year old is driving the car, right? So that's, that can be a bit scary, but that's what college coaches want to hear from the player rather than someone else. And so your parents are definitely playing an active role, but you know, to the college coach, it might not seem that way always. But you definitely, yeah, I like um, that
1: analogy. Now that I think about that, that's kind of exactly how I felt
0: yeah you don't you don't want your parents to flip the keys to you and and take a nap when you're learning how to drive no. um, especially for you Los Angeles guys, not in Los Angeles <laughs> um, so they're in an active role, but it's harder to see from the outside but everything worked out. You ended up at Cal. When did you make that final decision? When did you commit to going to cal
1: they um so Yale told me, I think it was the fall of my senior year of high school, Yale told me that I wasn't going to be able to go there. And I was like kind of set on going there. So I had to kind of start over from square one mm-hmm. and I went to the showcase. I think, I think it was the end of September. I went to the showcase there and the coaches, I liked the coaches a lot. They started to recruit me and they told me that um, they, they could flag me through admissions and that kind of, showed me like oh like they're actually interested me yeah I'll be a walk-on or anything but if I can play it you know I'll be able to play if not then I'll still get a a good degree from a good school so I made that final decision I made the decision to go there uh, that I knew I wanted to go there I think in October at the end of October but then everything still has to get right I didn't want to put all my eggs in one basket so I still applied to more schools just in case something went wrong and then I officially, I guess you could say I officially committed there in May after I got into the school, but I knew I wanted to go there in October, um, right. November time.
0: Of your senior year?
1: Of my senior year of high school, yeah.
0: Right. So when you say flag through the recruiting process, that you're meaning just they tag you as a baseball recruit. And so.
1: Yeah, they get you into the school 100%. And you had I,
0: think the, I had the I think,
1: it, I think I would have been like 50 50. Um, without their help. But if the help's there, I'm taking it. <laughs>
0: right, right. And that just goes to show, when you have when you have good grades, it really opens up some opportunities. So you end up at Cal. What surprised you about playing college baseball at the Division One level? Was there anything that, that really made the transition difficult for you? To be
1: honest, uh, nothing surprised me. My high school coach Even though I didn't like him that much, (laughs) he did a good, he did a very good job of preparing me in a way that I was never lost on a baseball field. Like I never didn't know where to go, um, like cuts and relays, all that, all that kind of stuff. I always knew, I always knew where to be. So the game, yeah, it speeds up in terms of like velocity and people hitting the ball harder. But the other parts of the game, like I was never lost. Which was important for me because if you're a walk-on, showing up on the first day and like you're messing up cuts and relays, to kind of be like, <laughs> coaches are gonna kind of be like, we're well, giving this kid a chance. He doesn't even know where to be when the ball's hit in the gap. <laughs>
0: right. Right. Yeah. And
1: so I I was lucky I was lucky for that, but my my physical tools, um, I felt my physical tools were lacking as a freshman, and like I couldn't. Like I could definitely compete and play. Like I said, I could play in the games, but I wasn't gonna wow anyone. And as a as a walk on, you kind of have to do things a little better than everyone else to get yourself a chance. Whereas I was just maybe as good as everyone else in the games.
0: Right. And were the expectations as a walk on made clear to you before you showed up on campus? Did they say, uh, you know, was it clear that you'd earn a roster spot? Were you gonna have to? Compete for that roster spot in the fall. How how did those negotiations go in terms of opportunity that you'd be provided as a walk on?
1: Yeah, so I talked to Tony who was the one that handled all of my recruiting, and he was very honest throughout the entire process. He told me I would be a walk on and that I was only guaranteed a fall roster spot. That was he made it very clear you're guaranteed well, guaranteed to get into school, and you're guaranteed a fall roster spot. But he told me that because um, he was he he had also told me throughout the entire process that he's like, Dude, like I like the way you play, man, like you're gonna you're gonna make this team, and I'm pretty confident you're gonna make the team. But if for some reason the numbers don't work out, I can't promise you a spot in the spring as well, just because I don't want to put you in a situation where I promised you a spot in the spring, but then for some reason the numbers don't work out. So that's kind of how it worked out with me.
0: So you were well aware of that opportunity before. You yes, I, he
1: made he was Tony made things very very clear, which which was nice too because sometimes in the creating process you don't really know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. But he commun he was very good at communicating that to me.
0: Were you able to easily tell the difference between coaches that were being honest with you and coaches that were maybe leading you along a little bit?
1: As a high schooler, not so much. Because you just want to get in the door, you know, like, oh man, like I'm, I'm 16, 17, like, Joe, just give me an opportunity, let me, let me, let me play for you. And are you not really concerned with what is going into their thought process as much as getting yourself an opportunity? But thinking, thinking back on it, I think it was not so much coaches leading you on as they are just not responding because things kind of have to shake out on their end. And it's easier for them to just kind of wait right? and hear back from other people instead of, like, give you a constant update. Because I think, honestly, sometimes they don't have anything to tell you, you know. Like, maybe they're waiting on a couple other kids to make their decision. And those kids haven't made their decision, so they can't tell you anything without having another kid tell them something. So, I mean, silence, yeah, it kind of keeps you in the, in the the in the dark. But it's kind of understandable now that I've gotten a little older and I see how things work.
0: College coach is never gonna cut ties completely until they
1: either. It doesn't. Yeah, it like it doesn't make any sense for them to cut ties completely, right?
0: Right. They're they're gonna try and keep you in their pool of players for as long as they can until either a they know that you're not good enough and you're not an option, a hundred percent, you know, no chance that you're gonna make a jump, or, you know, b something shakes out and they realize uh, we don't have a spot for you or someone else jumped into this role and we don't no longer have that need. And so that's something that's important for recruits to understand is just that when that, when there is that silence, it's not the coach's responsibility to keep you informed. Although that's an added perk, it's always the recruits responsibility to kind of check in and say, Hey, where are you at with things? Where do I stand on your list? And coaches won't and, and shouldn't be, upset when you check in semi-regularly. So I think that's a a really good point that you made there that just, you know, you're you're kind of in the dark, but there's not really anything that you can do about that.
1: Yeah, unfortunately.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So you get to Cal, you said you feel like your, your tools were maybe a little bit shy as a freshman, which is common. What are some of the things that you did was it was it just a matter of putting on strength or what are some of the things that you did to try and catch up a little bit
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing was was lifting weights and basically if you want to play as good as the way I saw it as a freshman and still I still agree with this point of view now like if you want to play as good as the best players on your team or hit as good as them. You got to be as big as them and you got to hit the ball as, as far as they do, especially as a walk-on to get to give yourself a chance. So it was a matter, for me, it was a matter of, of lifting weights and, and getting stronger and learning how to swing the bat harder.
0: So you're working on the baseball aspect and then obviously Cal's known for its academics as well. How did you balance your coursework with the baseball workload?
1: Yeah, my, my high school... Did a great job of preparing me for for college work. So when I got to Cal, I honestly think I tell people this, they don't believe me. I think I had more homework in uh, actually. I'm sure I had more homework in high school than I did in college. So when I got to college, it wasn't. And I'm not saying this in like a like a standoffish kind of manner. But when I got to Cal, it was. I never had any trouble with with doing my homework in, in baseball practice because of because Loyola prepared me well,
0: yeah, it sounds like you were well prepared Do you have any recommendations for a kid who maybe gets to college because I'm sure you had some teammates who got to college and weren't used to that workload and were a little overwhelmed. Do you have any recommendations for a kid who uh, who shows up and kind of gets wowed by how much work there is?
1: Yeah, I would tell that kid to use all of his resources, which is a thing I heavily regret at Cal. I kind of at Cal, I kind of got caught up in just playing baseball when there's actually a plethora of things you can do. Like there's the counseling, but there's more than that. Like you can go, you can talk to your professors, you can do a bunch of stuff where that at Cal, I didn't really, I really regret not taking advantage of it, of all like the programs and just everything that the school has to offer. And, When I went to, when I ended up going to Dominguez Hills as a student there, I kind of took a different approach and I would go in and like talk to professors and I made it as much about my academics as it was about my baseball. And I ended up, I feel like I ended up learning a lot at Dominguez Hills. Not, not that I didn't learn a lot at Cal, but taking, taking advantage of my, of everything that's available to you is like. The biggest biggest advice I can get, and like I said, sometimes you all you want to do is play baseball, but Cal's a good school for a reason, and there's a lot of stuff that I feel I didn't take advantage of there.
0: And so you got kind of a second opportunity you You were what is known as a graduate school transfer. Can you explain that process to the listeners a little bit because you know that's, that's something that not everyone understands is an option for people who have a year of eligibility left. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah,
1: so I played my freshman, sophomore, and junior year at Cal. And I never got an opportunity to play that much. And I knew I wanted to play one more year. um, But also, I didn't want to go, I didn't want to play my fourth year at Cal and just get like 15 at-bats again. (laughs) And um, so I ended up taking an extra course in the fall of my fourth year. And I graduated that semester because um one it saves money and two I would be able to work until the next fall and save up some money for graduate school because um my parents helped pay for the four year but their their rules is anything after your four year you're completely on your own so i I saw it as an option. I did some research online and Oh, there was this one website that was really helpful. I forget what it was called, but he had a bunch of good information on there. But like, like um, when you're just doing stuff and researching online, I didn't, I wasn't really hundred percent sure how everything was gonna work out. But I knew that if you graduate and you go to a school. Yeah, you can go to a so D one. You can go to D one. and You can still play without sitting out, which is also the thing I wanted to do. Right. But I wanted to go. I wanted to go somewhere um, close to home, and that's why I chose Dominguez Hills because it's about a thirty minute um, car ride from my house, and I live and I lived at home. I was originally gonna go to Azusa Pacific and they had like a physical education program because I wanted my master's because I'm probably going to end up coaching baseball anyways, and it's a nice check mark to have on your resume, mm. especially since I won't play in the big leagues, I don't think.
0: <laughs>
1: don't don't count yourself out yet, right? Not yet. Still playing. I'm not, I'm not hitting too good over here. <laughs> I might be coaching sooner than I think. <laughs> so I, I wanted to go somewhere close to home, and I was going to choose to do specific, and then I had a friend who I played summer ball with my freshman year of college on the East LA Dodgers, and he was going to Dominguez Hills, which happened to be five minutes away from where I was working. He called me. He's like, "Yo, you got to call this coach, man." He's like, "He's a really good guy." Like, blah blah blah. I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll give him a call. And then I called him, and I his name's Tyler Wright. He's a great guy and great coach, and I loved everything he had to say about baseball. And I was like, well, I got to go here. <laughs> this is exactly what I wanted. Like One more year of baseball, and Coach Wright's very hands-off, like, gentleman, seems like the exact guy I want to play for. So that's how I ended up choosing Dominguez Hills. And after I chose the school, I went in and I found a graduate program that was of interest to me.
0: So this was a baseball decision, and then back that up with with the school option after you knew that's where you wanted
1: to go yeah yeah it was um mainly a baseball decision, um because I had gotten a lot better at baseball in my three years at Cal, but I didn't hadn't had a platform of consistent games to see how good I was, and I felt that it would be a shame to hang them up without I played a full season and seeing yeah. how good I was at baseball. kind of testing my skills, which is interesting to think about,
0: yep. Yeah, and so Dominguez Hills is a d two program. And what was the major difference? Did you see, you know, what, what was the major difference between Division One and Division Two baseball?
1: It's, it's, it's definitely pitching is the biggest difference. Um, pitching and talent disparity. So, one, pitching. <laughs> pitching's a lot worse, to be completely honest. It's, um, you don't see as much velocity and stuff consistently. You'll definitely get, like, there's a couple guys on your face that have the same stuff that guys in D1 had. But for the most part, the velocity's down a couple ticks, and it's just not as good of pitching. And then uh, position player-wise, everyone's just a little, like I said, the physicality is, is smaller, and the disparity's bigger. Like, there's definitely a lot of players that could have played at a bunch of D1s across the country, but for every whatever reason, they played at a D2. Mm-hmm. But then you'll have, like, some players that, would have no chance at playing at a D1. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, the talent disparity is bigger. So it's a wider range. And, yeah, wider range. And rosters
0: aren't as deep, and, you know, 1 through 35.
1: Yes, yes, that's a that's a great way of putting it. But like I said, there's definitely still talent at D2. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing.
0: You know, there's there's good baseball at every level and you just have to do your homework. It sounds like you learned some lessons from your first time through the recruiting process and had a little better idea of what you were looking for the second time and, and were able to come about finding that a little bit easier. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yes, that's definitely right. And I was I was older, 22, much more mature and, like, n- know what I was looking for. Right.
0: So knowing
1: what you know now,
0: if you could give advice to 15, 16-year-old John about the college baseball recruiting process and the college search, what would you tell him?
1: Oh, man, that's a good question. He he asked me to get all introspective. Uh, (laughs) I would, for baseball or for recruiting process-wise or both?
0: I would say just both, you know, just generally. Man, I would tell 15-year-old
1: John to get in the weight room. That's what I would tell him. That would be first and foremost, get in the weight room and swing the bat harder. And then, um, oh, man, the opportunities that come up if if you're physical, you know, and you're built like a college player before you even been in college, it makes the recruiting process a lot easier because I, I personally feel like more schools will want you, you know, if, if you're hitting the ball far and you're already physical. It's a lot easier to get noticed that way. When you're not fast, <laughs> like me,
0: yeah, yeah, so it's about having uh, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's about having a standout tool that college coach can can get interest in from just catching a glimpse of watching you play
1: yeah exactly, you know, if you're not hitting the ball far in in batting practice, then you're giving yourself maybe like like five to ten at bats in a game to to show to show your hit tool. Like, I don't think batting practice is an accurate representation for the game at all. With that being said, if you're launching balls in DP, coaches are going to notice you. Right.
0: That'll draw their attention to you, definitely, regardless of whether it transfers. It never hurts. (laughs) Yeah. So, for, for you, power did come around. You hit 10 Jimmy Jacks at Cal State Dominguez Hills and didn't want to stop playing. And so now. You're playing over in Japan on a professional contract with the independent league there. Is that right?
1: The Tochigi Golden Braves of the Baseball Challenger League.
0: How did you come about playing in Japan? How did you find that opportunity? Tell us a little bit about how uh, how you ended up over there.
1: Yeah, so at Dominguez Hills, we had a coach from uh, J- a Japanese university. It's called the University of Tsukuba, and he is... Uh, the second-in-command on the baseball team there, and he is um, a professor, too, and he has a uh, specialty in American studies, so he was on his sabbatical. He's 30 years old. His name's Taka. He was on his sabbatical year, and they sent him to Dominguez Hills, and he lived around Dominguez Hills, and he coached for us for a year, and he was uh, his English is pretty good. He was studying English at Cal State Dominguez Hills, too. And we became friends, and towards the end of the season, I was shagging BP. And we were talking, and he said, hey, like, if you don't get drafted or anything, like, Japan could use your power. And I said, you you tell me what I need to do, man, because I don't think I'll get drafted. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, sure enough, didn't get drafted. And then he told me the next step was to make a video. It was kind of like the recruiting process all over again. Okay. I made a I made a video and then he has a friend who works for the baseball Challenger League and his friend sent it to teams and then three of the teams were interested and uh they wanted I came to Japan in August and I tried out for those three teams and they were still in season so the tryout was just me practicing with each one team for a day
0: and that you said that was in August so you flew over there for the tryout yeah and then flew back to the United States. Yeah, I, went, I was in Japan for a week. And so did you leave Japan for that first trip with a contract or
1: did you get contacted when you were back in the States? How did how did you I knew that one of the teams really wanted me to play for them and that was the team that Taka had recommended the most to, cuz it was it's near it's closest to his house and it's also closest to Tokyo. Which is cool too, because I mean, if I'm going to play baseball in Japan, I'd like to experience other aspects of the culture too. And they, Kotaka told me there was a good chance. They just, they wanted to see me hit with the wood bat in person. And then I hit BP, and I don't know what got into me, but I was dropping bombs. (laughs) We practice on the same field every day. I still haven't been able to hit balls where I hit them that one day. It ended up working out well for you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I haven't been able to harness that swing all season.
0: Now, what was your so when you got over to Japan to play for the season, did you have kind of like a welcome to Japan moment?
1: Um, I was actually I was really busy going up until until I left with work and like other stuff. I don't which was kind of a blessing in disguise because I didn't have any time to get nervous. And then I flew out, and then Taka picked me up. It's really nice to have someone who I already knew in Taka. And he picked me up and moved me into my apartment. And then he had told me, I was told that spring training starts March 10th, and I flew in in February, like, 18th. Okay. And I he had told me that practice is, like, oh so yeah, some of the team's practicing already, you know, which I thought was just, like, oh, people go to, like, the cages and stuff. And then reynon the manager who speaks english he's like oh yeah like i'll come pick you up at nine tomorrow and like we'll practice now the whole team one the whole team was already here and they weren't just hitting at the cages these are full-blown practices they've been going through already (laughs) practice starts at nine take a lunch ends at like three three (laughs) thirty so i guess you could say that was my welcome to japan moment six hour practice to welcome yeah unexpected
0: six hour practice. That's funny, what has been the main
1: difference between your college experience and playing over there? Well, for me, it's kind of they don't tell they don't switch how I play the game like for, i I kind of see that with the other foreigners and other teams too like they bring you in, but they don't turn you into a Japanese player like they let you play your game, which is nice um and I appreciate that but the it's the style the, the game is the game's essentially the same. I mean, as a foreigner, you kind of see more off-speed and stuff, but I hit third for a D- Division Two team, and the extent of Division Two team scouting reports is kind of where you hit in the lineup. So if you hit third, you already see a bunch of breaking stuff anyways. <laughs> right. So it's kind of – it's not like – it's not any different for me. But the practices and – um The style of play, there's more bunting and stuff, but the practices are probably the biggest difference.
0: Well, what a great baseball story you have. And we could probably talk to you all day about the ins and outs of playing baseball in Japan and the differences between the different levels that you've played at. But I know we started this conversation at 6 a.m. Japan time because of the time difference and you're in the middle of your season, so we don't want to keep you all day. But there is one question that we want to finish up with. And that's kind of asking you to use this experience playing at the Division One and Division II levels and now playing professionally. What would you say to a kid who had similar aspirations to what you had in high school and wants to play at the college level and maybe even beyond? What is your advice? What's the best thing that a ninth grader looking to play college baseball can do to make sure that he has that opportunity to play at the next level?
1: I think the the most important advice I could be is get in the weight room because if you get physical and everything else in the recruiting process just becomes a little bit easier. And um number two is uh don't be afraid to, to put yourself out there and, and market yourself which I had I mean, you don't wanna sound cocky or anything. You gotta market your skills. That's that's very important and don't don't be afraid to don't be afraid to maybe like tell a coach you're good or like put yourself out there those weight room and market yourself even though the second one might be a little uncomfortable i think that's important
0: yeah pick pick your moments when you know you're performing well when you know you have the skills that they're looking for and don't be afraid to to create that exposure yourself and luckily we live in a day and age where like you did with the teams in japan you can put together a video send it out to coaches, and that gives them a pretty good idea of you know, just basic athleticism, baseball movements, and gives them a, an indication yeah. of whether they want to
1: see more. Yeah, there's, there's no reason for lack of exposure in this day and age.
0: Well, we want to thank you for exposing our listeners to such great information on the recruiting process and what it takes to play at the next level and wish you and your teammates the best of luck for the rest of the season. Thanks for tuning in to College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. As always, if you need more information on the college baseball recruiting process or what it takes to play college baseball, you can find that for free on our website, www.keepplayingbaseball.org. You can also track us down on our social media accounts. That's Twitter, at Keep Playing BB. Facebook, Keep Playing Baseball, and Instagram, uh, handle at Keep Playing Baseball. That's it for this episode. We look forward to catching you next time. Until then, take care.